you off that table and head back over here. Uh, we're going to get going in just a second here. Good. All right. Um, a couple of things as you guys are going back. We'd love to give, uh, we'll, have, we'll have these for you tomorrow. Uh, actually, we may have them right here. But I want to give a couple quick prizes to, to folks as a thank you for coming. Uh, the first is, if, if this is your first parenting seminar, if you've never been to any parenting seminar of any kind, raise your hand. If you've never, like, gone to instruction of any kind, oh, that's awesome. We have a bunch of people that have never been there. I was assuming it would be, like, two of you, and this would be easy to get down to one person. Okay. So between the people that have never been to a parenting seminar of any kind, uh, here's what we're going to do to decide the winner. Who has most recently had a child? So who's the, like, the latest, uh, the latest child? Anybody? Anybody last year have a child out of that group? You guys? Okay. You can say, you can say all these people had children last year? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Anybody had a kid in the last six months? Okay, well, there's a baby right there. Okay. Can anybody beat this baby? Anybody? Two months? Is it two months? Anybody? Less than two months? Okay. All right. Then we're, we're definitely getting you guys a prize. And it's, a, it's basically a coffee gift card, which you will need. Okay. Um, now, the other thing I wanted to do is, is more of a, because I know everybody's feeling left out. Like, what about me? I have lots of kids. Okay. It's okay. We love you. We see you. Um, we have uh, a, a particular book we always give out when uh, folks dedicate children at the church. Uh, it's Paul Tripp's book on parenting. It's just a bunch of general principles. It's a good, it's a good resource. Um, so what I'm going to do is if somehow you, you've joined the church, you, you know, you haven't dedicated your kids or whatever, uh, as you go, we're going to put a stack of that book on the back table. And if you guys don't have the book, we'd love for you to take the book, okay? Um, so that's just our thank you for coming and, uh, and saying, you know, thanks for Thanks for being here with us. So uh, with that, that will be on the back table as you guys leave. Now, second session, uh, Steve is going to get much more into the specific kind of seasons of parenting. And as he does that, please, please uh, send in some good questions. We've got a, a, some good questions already. But as these things uh, raise questions for you in your mind, uh, send that in using that form. And then at the very end, we'll answer a number of those questions, okay? All right, you guys good? Anybody need more coffee? All right? Okay, good. I, 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 uh, I know that you guys are parents. I know you guys are sleep-deprived. But you got you to gotta, you gotta hang in there because this is going to be super, super helpful as we move forward. Okay? Um, so let's, uh, let's welcome Steve as he comes back up for the second session. Thanks, guys. I know you guys are sleep-deprived, but everybody's doing great. I see lots of eye contact. And I love that you're giving away Age of Opportunity. Um, and I will just, I'm sorry, not Age of Opportunity, Shepherding a Child's Heart. Speaking of sleep deprived. Um, because this session actually is kind of loosely based on the idea of that book. And so that book does exactly what we're about to do is just walk through different seasons and probably says better than what I'm about to say. But um, that I found that really helpful. In fact, uh, part of what I want to say about this is when, when I started pastoring in my, in my mid 20s, <clears throat> I was probably about a year after that, maybe I was 26, a book came out by that guy's brother, named, his name's Paul Tripp, 
came out with this book called Lost in the Middle. And my senior pastor at church, so I just started pastoring, I've been, I'm 26 years old, he hands me this book and says, hey, here's a book about middle age. Would you please review this for us and then, you know, just write up a review that we could give out to the church? I'm like, okay, I'm 26. I'm like, I'm, I didn't think that was middle age. Uh, and it's not. Uh, so, but all right, great. So I started reading it and the book, the book talks about the temptations and the challenges of middle age and, and, and just how things go when you're in your 40s and 50s and you start life doesn't work out the way you planned, or you start focusing more on what's behind you than what's ahead, and the disappointments and challenges, all sorts of things. And the book, what I found is that it served me a great deal as a 26-year-old to think about what are the temptations that will be on the horizon in 10 to 15 years. And um, so I wrote my review, and I thought, you know, that should be, that'd be really helpful. So then I, then I went and bought a book about, about ministering to the elderly. <laughs> I thought, I wonder what comes after that. Let me see how that works out. So I say all that to say, we're going to talk through kind of three different phases of, of childhood. And if you are one of the ones with just with little babies or little toddlers or something running around, and, and you might be tempted to tune out or something when we get into teenagers, um, but that's a good time to just be thinking... Is going to go by fast. Um, what do they say about parenting, right? Like the, the days are long, but wait, the day, no, I can't get it right. I don't know. Is that right? The days are long, but the years are short. Is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Thank you. I need that help. Speaking of coffee, I'm good. I've had plenty of coffee, but um, the, um, but the idea here is to be looking out ahead, not only seeing where, all right, where are we right now, but to be looking out ahead and see uh, where they're going to end up. And, and what kind of things are coming. Now, if you're on the other end, if you have teenagers, and we're going to spend a few minutes here talking about parenting toddlers, um, it's good to get a refresher in this because there are younger parents in this church that need your help, basically is why that's here. Um, and you, you're here to help them. You're here to give them advice and encouragement to tell them, like, it's not always going to be like this. You will eventually get sleep. Um, there, I, I try to tell new parents, like, there was a point when my kid started sleeping 12 hours a night. And that went on for years, all right? I hope it does for you too. I pray it does. Um, they, look, younger parents, they, older parents, younger parents need your encouragement. They need you just, or maybe they need you to babysit for an evening, or, or maybe they need a cup of coffee. You could bring them on Sunday morning or take the, the crying baby so they could just sit and listen to a sermon for a little bit. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways that the Lord is eager to use you in these uh, younger parents' lives. Um, I, I gave the same seminar in a Sovereign Grace Church in Ohio back in the spring, and like on the second row, there was a, there was a guy who, um, I think he was like 75, and I, I thought, this is interesting. I'd like, sir, hey, tell me about your kids. He's like, my kids are all in their 30s. He's like, I'm here for my grandkids. I'm here because I want to be able to help my kids know how to parent well, and I forgot all this stuff, and I want to, I was like, man, that's so commendable, and I admire his vision <laughs> for being a multi-generational church and being a church where, where, where younger parents are relying on the, the help and wisdom and example and experience of older parents and where older parents then are eager to invest in and come alongside younger parents. That is a gift. That is a sign of a healthy church. And I love that. I see that here already. It's very, very encouraging. Um, I, I think we don't think about... I never really thought much about how fast children change until we moved away from my parents, and they started seeing my kids less frequently. And you know what happens then. Um, you know, you, you see mom and dad at, at Thanksgiving, and 
uh, Christmas, that's only a month, but then, man, after Christmas, maybe they come out and visit for baseball season. They want to get the boys' games or something like that. It's been four or five months, and they'll, they've grown so much. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. My, um, my mom is a very astute observer, and she would often, in, they'd show up, and, you know, we'd, we'd be catching up. Dad's, like, giving out candy and shirts and stuff to the kids. His grandfathers are prone to do. And my mom would just kind of sit back and watch and, she would come out with then this observation like, uh, of our kids, like, wow. She, she was just kind of, I've noticed that Tori is, she's gotten really responsible. Like, she really wants to help with the, seems to want to help with the management of it. She's getting food out, making sure everybody has something to drink. Like, she's really, yeah, yeah, mom, I hadn't even thought of that. Or uh, I see Jude's leadership skills coming to the surface. Like, really? Uh, really? <laughs> um, and she would, uh, yeah, okay. The, those changes are often invisible or imperceptive to us because they're happening slowly, but they are happening and they keep going. And change, it's not just something that happens to children. Change is also something that we as parents are called to be involved in. We as parents are called to change, to grow, to mature, as we talked about last session, to, uh, to grow up in our parenting. Um, and we are called to also shape and guide the change that is happening in our children. So Proverbs 22, 6, right? Tra- train up your children in the way that they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. So we are called to train them up as they are changing, as they are growing. Training them up is going to look different in a 3-year-old, than in an 8-year-old, in 11, in a 15-year-old, in a 21, or a 30-year-old. Um, so we're training them up as they are changing. And I think part of the point of that verse, Proverbs 22, 6, right? So train them up so when they are old, they will not depart from it. We are training them up in the Lord as they're changing now so they won't change later. So they won't change by leaving the Lord, by leaving the, the, the faith or the church, all right? Now, as I said before, I, I come to you not as a, as a guru, any kind of expert or professional, um, if you followed my kids around for a week, you would say, you know, yeah, there's some real grace in those kids, and man, you got some stuff to work on too. I think I, we do, and I, I feel that, and I, I need God's help in that. And so whether you are laboring with toddlers or anxious about teens or trying to sort out the kind of em- empty nest thing on the horizon, I want to remind you that God is faithful to all generations. And so I'm here to testify to the grace of God through each of these seasons. Um, And I think a verse that's helpful to keep in mind uh, is Psalm 37, verses 3 and 4. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend, befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's one of my favorite verses uh, particularly verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. I love how this verse clarifies and simplifies the Christian life. And it says that in every situation, in our parenting, but in everything else as well, there basically there are aspects of that situation or aspects of our parenting that are inside our control and outside our control. And so we are called to trust the Lord with things that are outside our control and obey the Lord with things that are inside our control. I learned this from uh, that same guy who wrote Lost in the Middle, Paul Tripp, um, he wrote another book. I can't remember which book this is in. Maybe Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. He talks about this. So trust in the Lord and do good. People get in trouble when they get those things backwards, and they start to trust the Lord with things they're supposed to be doing. 
Well, I should be investing in my children, discipling them. I'm, just, I'm going to trust the Lord. No, we need to be doing it. Or they try to do things they need to be trusting the Lord with. I am going to make sure they obey. Um, no, we have to trust the Lord to work in their hearts. And so we want to keep those categories clear, but we need to do both of them. Trust in the Lord and do good. And so in, in this talk, we're going to be primarily talking about how we obey how we obey as parents and how we obey in, through different seasons and how we parent our children. It starts and ends with our trust in the Lord. God has provided wisdom for us for every change, every season of our children's lives. And we need to trust him to give us that wisdom. We need to ask for it. And then we need to obey him by walking out that wisdom in, in those various stories. Uh, various seasons. Now, we, we talked last session about our greatest priority is that they might fear the Lord, that they might walk in the fear of the Lord, that they might know Jesus Christ and have a saving relationship with him. And so what, what comes here is, a, is just a very rough guide. We're going to take all of childhood, basically from like infancy to, I don't know, college, and break it down into three broad phases. And uh, we, could get, we could get much more specific with this, much more narrow, but we're going to try to walk through just three broad categories. Um, but our starting point in this has got to be the Word of God. At every point, I want to encourage you that, to, to distinguish between principle and practice. Um, at points along the way here, if I'm forced to, I might say some things about practice, what you can, maybe you don't have to do, but you could do as a way to, to walk out faithful parenting. Um, I'm hesitant to do that because I would never want somebody to adopt my practice without understanding my principles. We have principles that emerge from God's word. And so when I tell you that I have my kids read their Bible every morning, um, that's a great practice. But I hope you wouldn't go home and implement that practice without understanding the principle is I want them to learn to cherish this book. And the way they're going to learn to love this book is by, is by reading it. Uh, that's what Psalm 119 says. And so you know, there are principles that underlie that. I hope you see what I'm saying. So we're going to begin with principles. What does God's word say? And as parents, I know the desperation for technique. Kid won't sleep through the night. Kid will only eat Cheerios. Um, child's having a real hard time making friends on the soccer team. Um, Got to make decisions about driving and cell phones. Man, just, just somebody, please tell me what to do. Like, I get that, and I've been there. And as parents, we need to couple good, wise practice with sound principles that emerge from this book. And that will often leave us at odds with the prevailing wisdom of the day. We need to be prepared for that. And J.C. Ryle, my man, J.C. Ryle, helps us prepare for that. Really ugly cover, really good book. J.C. Ryle, here's what he says about parenting. A true Christian must be no slave to fashion if he would train his child for heaven. Hmm. He must not be content to do things merely because they are the custom of the world, to teach them and instruct them in certain ways merely because it is usual, to allow them to read books of a questionable sort merely because everybody else reads them. Now, just plug in, you know, movies, music, internet, whatever, into that. We have other media available to us today. To let them form habits of a doubtful tendency merely because they are the habits of the day. He must train with an eye to his children's 
souls. He must not be ashamed to hear his training called singular and strange. What if it is? What if it is? The time is short. The fashion of this world passeth away. He that has trained his children for heaven rather than for earth, for God rather than for man, he is the parent that will be called wise at last. I hope this quote, I hope you come back to this quote. I hope you eventually buy this book if you don't have it already. I hope you read it. I hope you find your way to this quote. You underline it. You come back to it often. And I hope this quote, this idea about building on principles from God's word, I hope it puts steel in your spine because... Kids see what's going on out there. They want what their peers have. They want you to parent them in a certain way, which is probably uh, much more indulgent (laughs) than the Bible would call us to. Um, And we are going to need courage. Courage to ask our children, why have you done thus and so? And courage to stand up to the onslaught of the world or family members or grandparents uh, or others who might question our approach to parenting. We're going to have to say, no, we're doing this because we have convictions that arise from the Word of God. And so um, I'm belaboring that point because I think it's really, really important as we get going. Like, Scripture, we are always coming back. What does Scripture say? And so at numerous points, as, as Nicole and I faced decisions about parenting, we would try to ask ourselves, let's just start, what does Scripture have to say about this? Is there a verse we can anchor our parenting decisions on? As we start thinking about kids are getting older and we're thinking about curfew, we're thinking about sports and how we're going to navigate, are we going to do clubs or just rec league? Um, are we going uh, to run all over creation doing violin or, or other hobbies? How are we going to navigate friendships um, with kids in the neighborhood who are not Christians? What does Scripture say? What does Scripture say? Where can I have guidance from God's Word? And so I'm going to try to, try to give you some suggestions. Uh, so um, one last thing. There are many, many different applications to how we could do this for these different age groups. So um, what I'm saying here is that there's more we could say. These are just a few suggestions. Um, I, hope, I hope that what we talk about today will stimulate conversation, stimulate conversation between husbands and wives, with other couples, with, with peers the same age as you who are walking through the same thing, as well as older, more experienced uh, parents who have done this before. Um, you, have, you have a father-son duo on your pastoral team. That's got to count for something, looking for advice on parenting. That's amazing. So um, there, is, there is wisdom and help available. So let's train them up in the Lord as they are changing so they won't change later. Just going back to that Proverbs 22, 6 verse. So let's start with little kids. Little kids, I'm thinking... I'm thinking here like infant through about beginning school age. So I don't, I don't know, zero to five-ish, something like that. Our experience with this as parents, Nicole and I, we found this time exhilarating and exhausting, as I'm sure many of you do. Um, exhilarating and exhausting. Parenting little children is a ton of fun. And stuff is just happening all the time. There is a lot of laughs, a lot of a lot of humorous moments. It's a roller coaster, though, um, because you got skinned knees and you got kids who are they're they're they're, they're just little sinners. Uh, my father-in-law would always say, "Yeah, they're cute and corrupt." <laughs> you know, there's that's a good way to say it. It's very true. And so, may God, if you are in the season, may God give you strength. Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-five: As your days, so shall your strength be. Hmm. 
That's a great promise for parents of young children to hold on to. As your days, so shall your strength be. So a couple priorities for this, this age. I'm going to give you three priorities for each of these each of these age groups, I'm going to talk through three different priorities and then a couple of ways you could apply it. So first priority for little kids, number one, establish authority. Establish authority. And Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There are several times where God addresses children directly <laughs> through the Apostle Paul or through Solomon or others. And when he does... God has a lot to say to our children about obedience. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This is so important that it's one of the Ten Commandments. There's only ten of them. And this is one of them. Like, hey, kids, one of them, one-tenth of the Ten Commandments is for you. I mean, I think it's for us as adults, too. The way I honor my parents now is important, but not as important as when, when I was a kid. I mean, wow, that's, that's huge. And look, that it may go well. It comes with a promise that it may go well with you, that you might live long in the land. I tell my kids often, like, look, do you want a hard life? How about it? You want a hard life? You want God to be on the other team? I think you're going to lose. You, know what, you want a ticket to a hard life? Don't honor your mom and dad. Disrespect your mother. Disobey every chance you get. Ticket to a hard life. Ticket to a hard life. So we need to teach our children that if they obey, they will experience God's blessing. In that book, um, Age of Opera, I'm sorry, I keep saying the wrong book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, there is a, a circle. There's a little diagram in there. There's a circle. There's a little stick figure inside that circle. And that is the circle of blessing. Children, if you stay inside that circle of blessing... God's blessing comes down on you. The way you stay in there is by obeying and honoring your father and mother. You get outside that circle, you experience the hard life that God promises you. You can see this in the life of Israel. When they obeyed God, they stayed in the promised land, and there they experienced God's rule and blessing. They disobeyed God, or they got outside of the promised land. God exiled them to Assyria or Babylon, and they experienced opposition from God. And so we see that on, on every level. So, kids, do you want a hard life? J.C. Ryle, again, obedience, he says. Obedience is the only reality. It is faith visible, faith acting, faith incarnate. It is the test of real discipleship among the Lord's people. That's as true for adults as it is for children. So, obedience is the only reality. Now, this can feel complicated. Think about our kids and obedience. Um, especially when they're little. Man, you're just like constantly having to issue commands. Um, don't touch that. Put that down. Come over here. Go over there. Sit down. Get down off of that thing. Would you get up? Well, let's go. I mean, we're always just command after command. And it's, it's wearisome just to be issuing that many commands and having to think through what to say so often. And so there is wisdom available to us here. And one of the pieces of advice that somebody gave us early on was one of our goals in parenting small children, we wanted to have as few rules as possible consistently enforced. I found that rules just, like, it was easy to, man, rules are like, I don't know, what am I trying to compare it to? Bunnies or something. They, they just, they just, there's just tons of them before you know it. You got all kinds, you, and stuff you never thought you would have to make a rule about. Like, don't touch daddy's stapler, I mentioned in the last session. But, I mean, rules, no, son, you may not put yogurt in your ear. 
or any food. Let's just say any food. Let's just make it no, no food. Food does not go in your ear. Rule. Okay, got it? No, rule. Um, we had all kinds of rules in our house, and you probably have too, and you, you know, just rules you never thought you would have to make. Um, but one of the most helpful pieces of advice we got, try to have as, as few rules as possible, but enforce them consistently. Here's why. The more rules you have, the more rules you have to keep track of. The more rules you have, the more rules you have to enforce. And the, the more rules you have to enforce, the harder it is to enforce them consistently, and the more frustrating it will be for your child when you don't. And so it's wisdom to say, what are the couple of things that we're really going to aim at right now? And Nicole and I would have a, um, gosh, we would probably do this. When our kids were younger, we did it even more often, maybe quarterly, I don't know, every other month. We would take a, a, a date night or a part of an afternoon on a weekend, and we would just talk through, like, all right, what are we dealing with right now? What is the thing right now that we need to work on? And let's focus on that. Does that mean there's going to be some other stuff that's going to slide? Yeah. You know what? If we get yogurt in the ear, it, the Lord gave us a washcloth, so it's going to be okay. Um, we're going to focus on a couple of things, and we're going to, we're going to, but we're going to enforce those consistently so that our children know what we're about, that we are, okay, when mom says, you look her in the eye and you say, yes, ma'am, or when dad says, come, we, you know, you come here. And so um, we... Uh, we wanted to be really, we would just, we would try to tell our kids, okay, here are the things we are really paying attention to. What are the, we, sometimes we would ask our kids, what do you think are the rules that are really important to daddy and mommy? That was interesting. Um, we would get some very, you know, no, no screaming in the car. That is important to me. Yeah. Okay, let's keep that one on the list. Um, but then we would want to do our list match up. We'd, okay, here's a chance to instruct. A little different. Let me explain. Here's a couple things we want to think about. Um, we, we always, I'm sure you've heard something along these lines. We, um, we taught our kids to obey immediately, completely, willingly. The way we said that to them was all the way, right away with a happy heart. Um, some people say cheerful heart. Hey, cheerful, happy, either way, I'll take it. All the way, right away with a happy heart. Some people add every time. But we, we were, we required of our kids obedience. But that does mean if you're going to give a command, you've got to follow through on it. You got to follow through. So there's a couple implications to this. First, the priority of preparation. Priority of preparation. Just talked about that. Nicole and I, all right, have rules, but not too many. Focus on essentials. Next, the role of role playing, um, especially with little kids. Kids this age, you can get a lot of mileage out of a little bit of role play. And so when we were trying to teach our kids, hey, come, come to daddy. Um, uh, my son, you know, it's like squirrel. It's one of these things. That he's just, just kind of flighty. Hard to get him to pay attention. Trying to teach him to come. So we, we had a hallway in our house where we could close doors, and it was just like, I'm at one end of the hall, and Nicole's at the other end, and we would just practice, like, all right, you're down here with me. Nicole says, come to mommy, and he thinks about it. What are we going to do? All right, and finally, he goes down there, and oh, yeah, we celebrate, you know, applause. Woo, you did it. Now, let's try again. Come to dad. We would practice that in the hallway. Practice, he can't go anywhere else. There's nothing else to look at. He got good at that. We would practice it in the living room. Now we're in opposite corners of the room. There's other stuff in the room. And we moved outside. Let's practice this outside. This is taking place over a couple of weeks. You know, we're just, we're doing this multiple times. And eventually we got to the place, hey, come here. Right over. Bam. Look at that. It was amazing. Um, but we trained them into that. It took time and it took effort. Role playing is valuable. Um, I would also often role play with them attitude. Um, we would often do this around the breakfast table. It's just really funny. I'd be like, hey, guys, we're going to, let's play a game. Mommy is going to pretend to be mommy. 
and I am going to pretend to be Jack. And uh, so I would have, we would prep ahead of time. She would give me some command, and I would sort of pounding it, you know, just play it up, right? And they thought, it's hilarious. It'd be like, oh, did Jack, so why are you laughing? Did Jack do, do something wrong? And Jack's like, yeah, that's not obedience. Well, what is obedience? Show me what obedience looks like. Kids love it. They love that stuff. And it's really tangible. Remember that training children this age, they, they're, they're um, concrete thinkers, much, much better at concrete than abstract thinking. And so the more you can put it in front of them, help them see it, the better. Um, so the more consistent you are in this instruction, the more confident you will be in your correction. Um, and just a warning about warnings. Um, when in the, in the last talk, we talked about warning, you know, kind of paired up there with teaching. I'm thinking, I'm thinking in that verse primarily as a, as a function of teaching, like with a little bit older child, there we're talking about warning is like, look, consider, you know, consider the, the wayward woman, son, if you, do you see what, that, that's the kind of warning that verse has in mind. Um, with little, little kids, we want to be really careful with warnings because warning a child, look, if you don't shape up, this is what will happen to you. Um, th- there's a place for that, but we want to, there's a potential in there to, to train them that delayed obedience is okay. And instead, we need to train them you're going to need to stop that right now and see, do they do it or not? And so point is, be clear, be consistent, follow through. Um, that, that clarity and consistency and then the follow through. Um, we had a multi-generational home in Virginia. My, my parents lived with us. We bought a house together because for a variety of reasons. Um, and uh, mom would often take Jack and go over to do little play dates over at friend's house and things like that. And so we realized, though, Jack would... Uh, he didn't like to obey Mimi sometimes. Well, especially if it was time to go. Mainly if it was just time to go. He did not like to obey. And Nicole and I realized, if we're going to let him do this, we're going to have to follow through. We're going to have to enforce that when it's time to go, he's got to go. And um, I was pastoring, and we lived nearby the church. So mom took Jack over to a friend's house. Jack didn't want to obey. She said, it's time to go. He just stayed there, kept playing. She said, okay, have it your way. She walks in the other room. She texts me. I was not far away. So I stopped what I was doing, sermon preparation or something. And I get in the car and I come over and I get there and Jack's still in the corner playing. My mom's like, yeah, he wouldn't come. So I just came in the room and cleared my throat and I could just see him go like this. Like he just, he knew it was coming. That was, that was time out of my day. I mean, I had to leave work and come do it, but we had decided that's what it would cost. That's what it would take to follow through on that. Now, it might not always be that dramatic for you, or your circumstances might not allow for that, but we have to be willing to do what it takes to follow through, to have as, as few commands as possible, as necessary as possible, but, but um, consistently enforced. Second then, second priority for this age is develop a Godward orientation. So start with obedience, first establish authority, and then develop a Godward orientation. Now, you might ask, wait, shouldn't this come first? Like, I don't know, we're Christians, right? Don't we want to begin here? We'd say, yes, sort of, but you get to number two through number one. It's by establishing authority that we're able to develop in our children's hearts a Godward orientation. Again, children are much more concrete rather than abstract thinkers. And so the idea of loving and serving and obeying God, where, where is God? How does God see? Like, that, that's very hard to get across to a child. And so the Lord has designed it this way. God has given children, parents, as training wheels. I mean, that's really what parenting is. 
is you are the training wheels for your child. That by learning to obey and love you, they are learning to obey and love God. And soon those training wheels will come off and, and you, you will be able to step out of the way of that authority because your child will be under God's authority and will know and love and serve him directly. That's our goal. And so we, we need to establish that authority in order to stir up in them a Godward orientation. Um, Elizabeth Elliot, in one of her books, said, obedience is the gateway to joy. Obedience is the gateway to joy. So the Bible tells us to teach our kids to obey because this is how they learn to obey God. Some of this comes through example. Some of this comes through instruction. So first it comes through your example. Um, children won't go where you don't lead them. And so it's very important that if you're going to we're going to inspire in our children and call our children to a real and thriving relationship with the Lord that we have that ourselves. Not perfect, not flawless, of course not. We're sinners, but that we're, we're striving for that, we're growing in that, we're pressing into that. It is great. There is, what could be better in the life of your child than for, for him or her to wake up earlier than normal one day and come padding into your room and find you there with your cup of coffee and your open Bible? Or to find mom and dad in there praying together. That's profound. Uh, to start a meal by praying together. At our family, our family, we sing uh, meals, we sing the doxology together, and then we pray at, at every meal, which is um, amusing because music is not my spiritual gift, but I'm called to lead as a father, so I've said, all right, guys, you're just going to follow me, and wherever we start today, that's where we're going. Like, I'm, I, um, I don't sing well, but I do sing loud. So um, you're just going to have to do it. And so, we, but we've, those are the kinds of, we want our children to see our love for the Lord, to see us worshiping passionately on a Sunday morning, to see us giving sacrificially to the church or to other uh, needs in, in the church, to see us laying down our lives in serving our brothers and sisters. I mean, there's so many different ways that this works out. So they, they get that through example. Um, they also get that through instruction. And so we have the opportunity to teach them about Jesus, teaching them the story of the Bible. Um, I'm so grateful for Marty Machowski's books. I hope you know uh, his name, um, Old Story New, Long Story Short, God's Story Bible, um, or something like that. Um, it's been a while since we were reading these books. But we used to just, this was our daily devotions. We would go through, uh, I would have the kids do their own quiet time. I would, do my, I would read my Bible, and then at breakfast, we would go through Marty's stuff. Um, and it's just laid out for like family devotions. It makes it super easy. And uh, they're outstanding. We're teaching them what it means to know and love God. So our priorities for children, establish authority, develop a Godward orientation, and then with this age, then also shower them with affection. Shower them with affection. There are two sides to this. Um, the first, on the first side, is just show them lots of affection and lots of love. They are little kids. This is easy to do because they're just cute and fun and they're coming in with, you know, they're probably drawing you pictures and coming in with their crayons and everything. That's, that's heartwarming. I love that stuff. My daughter, um, when she was in this age, um, she liked to play the game, like, what animal are you? Like, if you're an animal. And so she comes in one day um, with this very elaborate picture. In her five-year-old, probably four or five-year-old, she had drawn this very elaborate picture of a bald eagle. She brings it into me. I said, Daddy, if you were an animal, you would be a bald eagle. Oh, dear, that's, thank you, sweetheart. Is that because, because daddy has no hair? <laughs> no, 
It's because your nose is so big. So, <laughs> like, oh, great. Um, how can you not love that? That's amazing. So I kept that. I've got it. You know, that's, I love it. It reminds me of that. I love that story. Um, but here's what J.C. Ryle says about it. Love should be the silver thread that runs through all your conduct. Listen to this. Kindness. Think about, overlay these words onto parenting. Kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, forbearance, patience, sympathy, a willingness to enter into childish troubles, hmm. a readiness to take part in childish joys. These are the cords by which a child may be led most easily. These are the clues you must follow if you would find the way to his heart. Few are to be found, even among grown-up people, who are not more easy to draw than to drive. It's a great, great word. It's the power that love can have. On the other hand, so showering affection, two sides. One, we want to be positive and showing our affection. On the other hand, we need to be self-controlled. And we need to exercise self-control and resist the temptation to, to anger, to impatience, to outburst with our children. This is an important word for parents. We need to think carefully about this and assess ourselves honestly. Think how often, this is, this is good for husbands and wives, um, to say to one another, I promise I won't get angry if you give me an honest assessment. How do I do with being patient with the kids, with kind of getting down on their level, with, with not showing my irritation when we're trying to get to church? We were just talking about how hard it is to get out the door. It's like, it's like the devil works against you. Everything, our house runs really, really smoothly until it's time to go. And then the wheels fall off. I see some nods. Yeah, there's, <laughs> get a good amen. There's, it's just, it's, I don't know. And so, what do you mean you don't know where your other shoe is? You've got one shoe. Where did that shoe come from? It was in the backyard. Okay. <laughs> you, you, you know, they're, they're kids, man. So, we need, to, we need to guard against this. And again, J.C. Ryle. He says, love is one grand secret of successful training. Anger and harshness may frighten, but they will not persuade the child that you are right. That's important. Anger and harshness will not persuade the child that you are right. And if he sees you often out of temper, you will soon cease to have his respect. A father who speaks to his son as Saul did to Jonathan need not expect to retain his influence over that son's mind. Try hard to keep a hold on your child's affections. It is a dangerous thing to make your child afraid of you. Anything is almost better than reserve or constraint between your child and yourself. And this will come in with fear. Fear puts an end to openness of manner. Fear leads to concealment. Fear sows the seed of much hypocrisy and leads to many a lie. There is a mine of truth in the apostles' words to the Colossians. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger lest they be discouraged. Let not the advice it contains be overlooked. It's wisdom. I'm reading these big quotes to you from Ryle because it's so good. By the time we're done, I will have just about read you the whole book. Um, so, but he's very, very wise. On the one hand, show affection. On the other hand, exercise self-control. The effect that doing those two things can have on our children and on our relationship, the establishment and preservation of trust, of an open communication with them is profound. And then along the way, have fun and make memories together. Um, my father-in-law talks a lot about surprise and delight. Loves to use that phrase, surprise and delight. And so Nicole told me about how her parents would, they would tuck them all into bed at night, get them all PJ's bed and everything, the lights out. And they'd, they'd go outside, they'd wait about two minutes. And they'd come back in, hey, who wants ice cream? Everybody in the car, pajama run, we're going to Baskin Robbins or you know, whatever it was. And 
What does a kid love more than going to get ice cream in his pajamas? That's the best. So what are ways? That's going to be different at different ages. What would surprise and delight your children? And don't underestimate the power of mundane pleasures. This doesn't always have to be the big, hey, we're going to Disney World. I mean, that's once in a lifetime. Maybe that's great. But um, I got four kids that are all teenagers. They still love to be around the dinner table and to read together. They, I got a 19-year-old, I got 19 and 18-year-old boys that still like for me to read to them. So we do. They like to go to walks, go on walks through the neighborhood. So we do. Um, bike riding after dinner, uh, things like that. Like they're just we play, you know, Uno or whatever. They, they, there's so many ways. We don't always have to sit down and watch a movie. We'll we'll just look for mundane pleasures. What are ways you can surprise and delight? So many more things we could say on that. That's an introduction. Uh, what about school-age children? I'm thinking here about mm, five to six-year-olds up to like preteen. Uh, preteen, you start getting into 11, 12. You're kind of straddling this category and the next category. So there'll be some of this. Depends on the kid, right? Some kids kind of grow up a little earlier than others, especially if they have older siblings. Um, depends on what's going on. But our experience with this thing start getting busier, start getting busier outside the home. Um, school and scheduling, it's a different kind of exhausting uh, little, little kids are just physically exhausting because you're like, get in the car seat. You know, that's, that's hard work. Um, kids this age, it's a different kind of exhausting because um, you're talking more, you're, you're going places more, new challenges, but an opportunity to experience a new kind of grace. And so many wonderful opportunities here to really start developing a friendship with your kids as they're growing. They're starting to communicate on a much more profound level. So it's a season of opportunity. So three, three kind of broad principles here. And again, these principles, this is not scripture, all right? These principles I'm giving you is the kind of the combination of the, the distillation of quite a bit of reading on parenting, as well as what I hope is just sanctified experience, and I'm, I'm passing on what, what I've got from others along the way. So number one, teach them God's word. So in this age, this is an age to teach them God's word. This is an age where kids soak up everything. It is shocking how much a six, seven, eight, nine-year-old can absorb. It is amazing. So like leverage that. Use that to your advantage. I mean, not just like books of the Bible, but what is the story of the Bible? Who are the characters of the Bible? When did this stuff happen? Start teaching them the basics of um, systematic theology. You might be like, what? School-age kids? Yes. Marty Machowski has a book called Theology, and it's an introduction to systematic theology for children. It's amazing. So think about that. Um, so uh, this also means that we need to be wise and careful about their education, but their education here, not only what they get in school, again, back to uh, Proverbs thirteen twenty, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So we need to think about who are their companions. And when we think about Proverbs thirteen twenty, it's important that we think about companions, not just in terms of other kids. Companionship comes in many different forms. Books are companions. Characters in TV shows and movies are companions. Music, are, is, music is a companion. Um, there are many, many ways that our children form companionship for good or ill that don't necessarily involve other peers, other children. And so particularly want to think about in this age, want to think carefully about um, access and devices and think about cell phones and, and tablets or whatever else. And we can talk more about that in Q&A. But um, I would just encourage you to be wise and to think very carefully about 
digital access and what kids are seeing and doing and who they're talking with and how much, um, and, and particularly to think about that in light of that earlier Ryle quote I read, that not being a slave to the fashion of the age, uh, just because every other 9, 10, 11-year-old on the block has an iPhone doesn't mean that your children need to. Might be wisdom, it might not, but it, you're going to have to pray about that. Again, there's, there's principles that need to drive that practice. And so we're teaching them in lots of ways. Um, we need to be teaching our children. As we're teaching them God's word, we are teaching them to ask what does Scripture say. Um, our, our kids often have maybe more Bible in them than we give them credit for. And so those are great conversations to have, to start asking, what do you think God's word says? Can you think of any verses? Can you think of any stories from the Bible that might give us uh, insight into this? And so um, as we're doing that, we, we, we are training them to begin ordering their lives according to the word of God and to be thinking scripturally. We're teaching them the gospel, reading God's word, praying with them. Um, you have baked in opportunities to do this all the time. Uh, hopefully you can do it from your own devotional reading around dinner time. Say, hey, guys, kids, what were you reading in your quiet time? Here's what I was reading in mine. Talk about that. But you've got, you've got Sunday mornings. I mean, the drive home, lunch on, on Sunday. What did you guys think about the sermon? Or if they're in class, what did, what did you guys talk about in your children's ministry class? What did you learn in there? Um, think about a sermon. What is, what is a nugget? What is, what is a line or a sentence or a paragraph that you could take and infuse into your children uh, and pass on to them and discuss with them. You don't have to develop a curriculum on your own. You don't have to be the next Marty Machowski to do this. You can have spiritual conversations with your children just from what's going on around you every day. Um, and then our example is a profound influence. Um, Kids are, kids are watching and imitating. This is not unique to this age, but they are watching and imitating. You start to see this in, in more significant ways, I think, in these school-age years. It's like they're little mirrors, and uh, there's been more than one time Nicole and I have commented on some aspect of our kid's character. Uh, I might say something about one of Jack's temptations or Jude's temptations, and like Nicole would tell me, yeah, you, where do you think they learned that? <laughs> Like, what? What are you talking about? She, yeah, you, oh, boy. So you know where I'm going. That's, that's um, revealing. And so we want to model for them every chance we get. How, how do we walk in godliness with them? Um, and again, how to talk and think about conversion and baptism. I think it's very important, first, as husband and wife, that you talk together uh, ideally, before you even get to the age that this is a question, that you have talked together through, what are we looking for? How are we going to discern genuine conversion in our kid's life? And how are we going to know what, when it's time for baptism? Um, those are great conversations to have, questions your pastors love to discuss with you. Um, and there's not necessarily a right or wrong here. I've known, I know of churches that don't, they don't baptize anybody under 18. They just don't do it. I mean, I'm not sure... I would do it that way. If that's your policy here, great. I support you in that because it's, there's not, a, there's not a, um, a verse we can point to on it. I've known other churches that any kid that gives a, a believable profession of faith, and that believable is important, but they'll baptize them. And they, they get some pretty young kids sometimes getting baptized. I think, ah, I might wait a little bit. A kid who is genuinely converted will not be unsaved by delaying baptism. But many a, a kid who is 
not converted will gain false assurance that they later abandon by being baptized too early. So you just want to think about that. Uh, not that we're rolling the dice with our children, but there is a kind of risk-reward that we need to think through. Is this wise? And how confident am I that this is a believable profession of faith? Again, we can talk more about that in Q&A if you like. Um, so teach them God's Word. Secondly, grow your relationship together. Um, I, I don't know where this came from, but when I was a boy, I, just, I remember the phrase quality time becoming a thing. I don't know, I don't know whose idea this was. But somebody, I, I just, I remember hearing that phrase, quality time. Dads need to be spending quality time with their kids. Yeah, absolutely. Um, quantity time is important too. <laughs> so we need both. Um, a, a, having a relationship with our kids, growing them into that friendship. Your son or daughter being confident that mom and dad are for me, that they listen to me, that they're here to help me, that takes time. It, it takes time to establish that. And so... Um, Right now, my, my two daughters are 13 and 15, and uh, Nicole teaches at the, the little school where I'm a headmaster, so we get home, we live less than half a mile away from the, the school, so we get home at like 3.30, and uh, she'll just go like debrief with the girls, and sometimes it's 10 minutes, and sometimes dinner's late, <laughs> because they're talking for hours about what happened that day. Sometimes it's like, all right, I'm just making French toast, because it's the only thing I know how to make, and um, I'm making dinner, and that's it, so... Um, they try not to have too many rough days in a row because nobody wants to eat French toast like five days a week. But that time, that investment, um, uh, you know, as the boys are learning to drive, that's been great. It's like, hey, we're going to go get you some, some hours behind the wheel. And as we're driving around, all right, so tell me, how's it going to Chick-fil-A? Tell me about, oh, who's, who's that girl you were uh, chatting with when I came over to get a milkshake the other day and you were, you were chatting with that girl in the Tell me about that. What's her name? Where's she from? You know, those are, we're, we're talking about that. I used to do, um, again, practice, not principle, but I used to do a thing called kid parade. So I'd come home from work at the end of the day, we'd eat dinner, and then afterwards, kid parade, just, all right, bring a kid on into my study. Hey, how was your day? Uh, any particular temptation today? How'd it go, man, mom? We talked about that yesterday, all right? And uh, did you, how'd your test go? Uh, whatever, you know, we just, sometimes it was, all right, then I'd tell them, okay, you, now, you can go. Now, send in the next one. And uh, so I would just cycle them through. And um, some days we'd get through all four of them in 15 minutes. And some days I'd only get one of them <laughs> because that would go on quite a while. Some days they would just know, like, yeah, Dad's not talking to me tonight. I'm off the hook because uh, I was talking to a sibling. So there's, there's a lot of ways that this can happen. And in terms of growing your relationship together in these, this school age, you know, first, second, third, fourth grade, we want to be building into our children the priority of parents before peers. Priority of parents before peers. Um, peers for little kids is like, it's just play dates, right? You're just getting on the playground, and, and they're almost interchangeable, and they have their buds, but it's like any little kid will do. Like, you're just going to run around, and we're going to play in the sandbox, and we're going to tag, and you know, whatever. But I don't know when it happens. It's probably different for each kid. You know, first, second, third grade, like having a friend, and my, my best friend, is like that becomes a thing. And... It, become, it can be a very emotional, a very time-consuming aspect of your child's thought life. And so we want to help them, though, to, to put that in its proper place and to understand what is the nature of friendship? What should we expect from friendship? And who should your closest friend be? And we found it's often you can reinforce this for one another. I would say to my girls, who is, who's the best friend you got? Your mom is the best friend you got. Nicole would say to my boys, your dad, he is going to be your best friend you've got. He's going to be with you the rest of your life. And um, 
We're just trying to build them into each other because we want to train our children in the habit of looking to mom and dad first for wisdom. And we'd be teaching them like, you should not be talking to your friends about some problem or issue that you haven't talked to me about first. Like, we're going to handle that. Like, if you have, come talk to me. We'll, we'll handle that. We're going to talk through that. Um, God has put us in families. And so we want to train them to walk with the wise. Um, and then also an extension of that is siblings, teaching them to, to enjoy and to love their brothers and sisters. Family dinners are one way that that happens. Um, we, a, a tradition we inherited from Nicole's family is at birthdays, if, if it's somebody's birthday, everybody else in the room, we're going to honor that kid. And you need to say, what, what are you thankful to God for? Where have you seen God's grace? Where have you seen them grow? For so encouraging in, in the birthday kid's life, but it forces them to be thinking, what is something good we can say about it? And then we realize, well, that only happens once a year. Like, we should do that more often. So we would, you know, just, we'll just spring it on them sometimes. Um, and then think about relationships in the church as well. Just hospitality is such a wonderful way to build friendships in the church. Um, and I'm going to talk more about that, actually, and talk a little bit about that tomorrow in um, the sermon. So where are, be thinking through where are your child's relationships in this age, and, and who are those relationships with? Uh, third, third principle, third priority here, so teach them God's word, grow your relationship together, and then for school age, thirdly, requiring obedience. Um, it, is, it is tempting, I think, in this age to start letting off the gas of obedience, but be very careful with that because um, they are still required to obey you, and there are. We want to continue building habits of of children listening to dad and mom, heeding their wisdom and instruction. It's starting to look a little bit different. Um, okay. Also in that book, and let me get it right this time. Shepherding a child's heart. In the section on teenagers, there's a graph that he calls this this very catchy phrase the the uh, authority influence continuum. Basically, just, all right, think of a simple chart, and along the x-axis is time. You have from age 0 to age 18, or when you get the book, just cross out 18 and put in maturity, Christian maturity, cross out 18, 18, nothing special about 18. And you have authority, it starts way high, and as you go, it's coming down like this. And influence starts way low, and as you go, it's going like this. And the idea there is that over time, little kids, your authority over them is, is really high, um, they will go where you want them to go because you can pick them up and strap them into the car. Um, you decide, theoretically, you decide what they eat, sometimes if they eat. <laughs> um, you decide you know, when they play. All, like You have control over a little kid's life, but the minute they're born, you're slowly, slowly losing that control. Right? My 18-year-old, I can't... <laughs> he's a strapping young man. I can't pick him up. I tell him, I mean, I'd still take you, but um, it's getting harder. And, um, but on the flip side, my influence is going up. With a little kid, I can't influence. You can't, you can't talk a kid out of a crying fit. Um, that's not going to work. You, you, could, you can explain to them all day long why they can't have that toy and it's not a good idea and because you're trying to avoid a materialistic impulse in their hearts and you want to train them in contentment. And they're just still crying. Like, why, why would we not stop crying? There's a great explanation. You can't talk them out. Your, your influence is very low, but as they age your opportunity for influence is going up. And that's why, um, that's why you don't spank an 18-year-old, right? Because I'm, I'm not trying to, it's not going to work, um, but I'm not trying to, to exert my authority. Instead, I'm going to talk, let, let's talk this through. And, um, you know, my kids now, they're teenagers. They know that discipline in their life means words. It means conversation. It means we're going to sit down. We're going to work this through. What did you want? 
why did you, why did you text that to that girl? Do you realize how that was unwise or whatever it is? You know, so we, we're, it's a different kind of discipline. So we're still requiring obedience here, but recognizing that we're on the move, right? This, this graph, I think it's really helpful. I don't know. Did I, I didn't put that in the outline, did I? Um, that out, okay, sorry. Uh, it's in the book. The, um, that graph is really helpful because th- these things are changing. One is going down and one is coming up, but it's not, it's, despite what, the way it looks in the book, it's not linear, right? It might be like this and then like this and this. And th- it's, you're trying to find your footing. It's always a matter of prayer and wisdom. And so we're still requiring obedience. All right, so now on to teens. All right, again, more I could say here. In every one of these categories, just a few suggestions. Um, okay, so I got four teenagers, uh, which is awesome. It's amazing. I love it. Until, until February, I got four teenagers. And uh, I will say, parenting teenagers, it takes a lot of faith. Parenting, teenage, parenting kids of any age, it takes faith. Parenting teenagers takes a lot of faith. Um, it's very different than when they're little. I have a lot less control over their environment and their world. We were just talking about that. I mean, my, my son goes, to, my oldest son now goes to college in, in Idaho. Um, I, can, <laughs> I can track him. I can see on my phone where he is on the map, but I don't know what he's doing any moment. Like, he's out. And, uh, but I, I get a lot of opportunities for influence with him. The stakes are high. My son is driving a car. Uh, both of my sons are driving cars. They both own their own cars now. Um, but the opportunities, the opportunities are even more exciting because children in this age, they can and do come to real saving faith. They may start getting insight about what they want to do with their lives, what God has called them to do, where they're headed. They might meet someone who one day will be the future Mr. or Mrs. That's all amazing, but it's, it takes faith. It takes a lot of faith. Um, these Kids this age, they're learning to understand for themselves what the gospel means. They start feeling their own, Lord willing, they start feeling their own sense of sin and their obligation to the Lord. And they start maybe, hopefully, Lord willing, having a desire for repentance and faith. And so, again, three principles. First, we are training them in this age to live for Christ. Uh, I think with teenagers, and, and I don't have a number for you here, this doesn't turn on right at 13, but in the teenage years, we are beginning to transition from just you have to learn to obey. Let's, let's start. It's time to start experimenting with the, the training wheels off. Son or daughter, it's time for you to begin to live for Christ, to love Jesus. I'm thinking here of 2 Corinthians 5.15. Christ died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so um, one of my sons through his entire teenage years was like, Dad, I want to be a Christian. I want to repent and obey. I just, I, I don't... I don't feel like I'm very good at it. Okay, great. Well, let's keep trying. Um, and my other son was pretty honest for a long time. He was like, there are, I'm not sure I want to do that, Dad. There's, he realized that repentance would mean giving up some things he loved, mainly his sense of control and his desire to be his own boss, to call the shots over his life, to be his own authority. He did not want to submit to authority. It wasn't there was any one thing that he didn't want to do. Anything that we were, any kind of step of obedience we were calling to him, him to, he didn't want to do. He just didn't want to do it. <laughs> he just didn't want to, he, he wanted to be his own authority. And so we're calling them to faith and repentance. I would ask, I would ask both of them, what's holding you back? 
would often ask them, tell me about your relationship with God. Do you think you're a Christian? How would you describe your relationship with God? How do you know you know God? Um, how, how, does a, how, does a, how would a person, how would he or she know that, that he or she is a Christian? Uh, we would just talk through kind of fundamental questions like that to get them trying to internalize it and, and take their answer and map it onto their own heart and say, what, are you there? Are you doing that? Um, so books like Living the Cross-Centered Life by C.J. Mahaney, Habits of Grace by David Mathis, looking for ways to begin training them. Um, we, we had our kids reading their Bibles from a very early age because we wanted them to, to have a habit of getting up early and reading God's Word each day because what we wanted was to begin to see something from within. I wanted to see a spark, not just the execution of a habit, but some spark of a desire for God. And that is, we can just set the, the hurdle lower if they're already in the habit of doing that. It, it helps them. This is what it feels like to know and follow God. And then you know it's happening when you don't require it when maybe you're on a vacation and your kid still gets up early to read his Bible. Like, oh, look at that. That's interesting. That starts to tell us something. We start, hey, what, what, bud, why'd you do that? He's like, well, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to meet with God today. That's great. That's a good sign. That's the kind of thing we're looking for. Um, we also, in, in training them to live for Christ, it's wise to look for opportunities for them to be around other people in the church who love Christ and to learn from their example. So we got our teenagers, we, get, we try to get them serving in the church as much as they can. Now, in our church, they can't serve in children's ministry until they're members, um, so we can do the whole background check and all that stuff, but they serve as greeters. They serve on the hospitality team. My daughters get involved with stuff like this with doing food stuff they're good at. Um, my sons are involved uh, on the security team, so they like that. Um, well, the, the little earpiece, man, it, they're hooked, you know, they're, they're in. So they can't, they can't carry any enforcement yet, but they, one day they're looking forward to that. But they, they are, they, they're eager to help. And, and the point of all of that is they get to be around godliness, and they're getting to see other Christians serving and giving their lives away. So somebody's moving, man, we want to be there. We want to be there. My sons and daughters, daughters are clean and boys are moving boxes. Let's get them there. Um, just to be thinking, how can I get them around? Uh, there was a, a stretch where I would just, I would pick out guys in the church and we would take them to breakfast. And my sons and I, we would just be like, all right, we're going to have breakfast together. Go to Panera, get some bagels. Tell us your testimony. Tell us about what advice do you have for uh, whatever. 15-year-old and a 13-year-old, and uh, what do you wish you had known as a teenager? What was the hardest thing? What's the, how did you learn to, and we would ask him very specific questions. How did you learn to be godly on a sports team? Um, how did you learn to be a good teammate? How did you learn to be a, a good brother to sisters? How did you learn to fight lust? So we, we would talk through very specific things. We would not have time to ask all those questions of every guy, but I knew the guys well enough to know what would work well. So again, just trying to get them in front of godly men and godly women, um, and graciously, lovingly, ever keeping before them the importance of the eternal state of their soul. And if your teen has become a Christian, then the joys of discipleship become a key emphasis to talk through. How great it is that we get to come to church, that we get to read our Bibles and pray together. We bring our, I, I bring my kids now to our monthly prayer meetings, and they're learning. Like It was a hurdle to get them comfortable praying out loud in front of adults. <laughs> that's a thing. I mean, that's a challenge, but they've learned to do it. They've done it enough times. They tried it. I'd be like, hey, pray for this. And they, they go and do it. And okay, that went well. 
that you didn't, you know, see, even when you fumbled at your words, nobody laughed at you. It's okay. The Lord loves it. Um, so, so many opportunities to, to do that sort of thing. Secondly, guarding the heart. So, teenagers live for Christ, guard the heart. Um, I'm thinking here of Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Um, with teenagers, more and more, we are trying to get to the why behind the what. With little kids, it's like, you just got to establish what happened, right? Who threw the ball that knocked over and broke the lamp? Okay. You can ask a little kid, why did you throw a ball? And they're like, I don't know, because I threw it. I don't know. Uh, they're not going to know the why behind that. But um, with teenagers, we have the opportunity to start getting into the heart of the matter, to, to start connecting motives to action. Uh, fruit in our lives comes from root in our hearts. And so why, why did you do that? When, when that other teenager was gossiping about your friend, why didn't you stop him? Why didn't you say something? What did you want badly enough then that you are willing to tolerate sin in that kid's life in your presence? Why didn't you speak up? Um, let's get at the heart of those things. And so we're learning to get at the why. And again, asking what does Scripture say about everything? Um, and so there's, here I'm thinking of the, the implications of the gospel, right? The gospel works out. Our, if our hearts have been transformed, it works out into our school and our uh, friendships and our faithfulness and diligence around the house. I'd have a, one, of, one of my, my children, we uh, discovered cheating in uh, a homeschooling kid. It's easier to do than some other settings, although kids are motivated, they'll find a way any which way. And so um, a lot of that was like, hey, don't cheat. But, and that's important. We need to make sure that's, don't do this again. It's, it's lying, it's wrong, here's why. We go through scriptures. But, but let's talk about why. Why did you do that? What did you want to happen? What were you afraid would happen? What did you think would be the outcome of this? Um, and they, you know, they usually have a surface level answer. Well, I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to be embarrassed by getting a bad grade. Yeah, because what would happen then? So it's always good to go. What's the next step? What what would have happened after that? Why didn't you want that to happen? And to begin uncovering, training them to think what what is going on in the heart. Um, and so many. Many, many different opportunities for that almost every day to talk. And so my kids, they kind of, they'll even roll their eyes a little bit when we talk about the why. They're like, oh, yeah, you want to you talk about the why? Okay. So, um, but they, they understand, like, that's where change happens. So uh, David Pallison has a little book. Um, oh, dear. What's it called? How People, no, it's not How People Change. That's the other one. It's um, how, the, how Change Works or something like that. I don't know. Ricky will get it for you. But it's, um, um, he has this diagram called three trees. Are you familiar with this? You have, you have a, a tree that's really healthy, lots of fruit, and it comes from a heart. So it, it, you, know, you have the trunk of the tree goes down to the heart, and it's a good heart, right? And you have over here, you have this tree that's all bad, mangled, dry, rotten fruit, and the, the heart is just all shriveled. And, and so out of, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart, we act. And so it's training our kids, well, okay, we need to get to the heart. And in between them, is the cross. You can't just get from bad fruit to good fruit or from bad root to good. It's not just a matter of like moral renovation. We need to be transformed. We come to the cross for forgiveness and that then, through our repentance, that then leads to obedience. So um, thirdly, third priority for teenagers after guard the heart is do not love the world. 
Do not love the world or the things in the world, for the desires of the flesh are passing away. So we want to help our kids learn to love their parents, the family, the church. We want to help them learn to love what God loves in the proportions that God loves it, loves them. That's, that's another way to say that. And so um, that might mean materials. Material. My, my son, my second son just bought a car, and we spent the last like two months looking for a car. He had uh, the apps on his phone. He's got like uh, cars.com and auto trader, and we're going through cars, and it, it took us a while to narrow down. Like he had something in mind first. He had something pretty sporty in mind, and he was really thinking, like he, he had a thing he was going for, and we had to kind of, let's talk through that. What, what is this about? And um, so this is kind of blending two and three. We got to the heart of the matter. What we learned is he had a, his priorities for this car had a lot to do with the way he looked driving it. <laughs> we eventually uncovered this is really what this is about. You just want to look cool. And um, uh, one pastor I read said, you know, we, we need to train our kids to have a contempt for the cool. It's a great word, a contempt for the cool. Uh, their peers love what is cool, and cool is attractive, cool is desirable, or however kids, maybe they don't say cool, whatever it is they say these days. But they are, our, our kids are drawn to that, and so we need to train them, do not love the world or the things of the world. And so that's going to be, as we teach them, biblical manhood and womanhood. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? That's going to cut very seriously against the grain of our culture. Um, as we train them to recognize and reject ungodliness of all kinds and to stand up for godliness. This is going to need to translate into action in their lives. So um, both of my boys worked at Chick-fil-A, and they had a manager who would just tease different kids about, he would, especially the boys, about some of the girls that worked there. And so he would be like, hey, you and, you and, hey, you and Kelsey, you should ask her out. And you go to my other son, hey, you and... You and, and, and Lindsay over there, have you, are you, you got her number yet? And, um, yeah, you know, the guy, was, he's probably 24 or something. I think he thought he was, I don't know what he thought. doesn't matter what he thought. But for my boys, they were like, I, Dad, I don't think this is good that he's doing this. I don't like that he does it. I certainly don't like that he doesn't. What do I do? I'm like, well, I hate to tell you this, but you're going to have to go back and talk to him. And I uh, coached him up. Like, all right, here's what you're going to say. Let's practice this a couple times. And I gave them a script. You know, we worked through just a simple script for them to say, hey, listen, I really appreciate, you know, what you're trying to do, and I know that you mean well, but I want you to know I'm a one-woman man. I just don't know who that woman is yet, and I'm not on the dating scene because I'm focused right now on, on school and growing in godliness, and, and I'm just, thanks, but I'm not interested in that, and I'd really like to ask you to stop because it makes me really uncomfortable. And... Um, both my boys did it, and man, the dread on both of Like, we pulled up to Chick-fil-A, and uh, on, on the, one of their off days, like, you going in, and uh, I'll just wait here. I'm praying for you. It's going to go great. You're gonna, you know, the, 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 the slowness of the walk on the way in. But then coming out, the, I, like, I knew what had happened immediately, because I could see it in their posture. The, the sense of, not only, re, it wasn't just relief. But the sense of resolve, this, the, you know what it feels like to have the Spirit affirm within you that yes and amen about obedience. They came out, they took a step towards manhood, each of them, in that conversation. And as a dad, to see that they were rejecting the world and choosing godliness, and it was hard, and that was a lesson, and we made a lot out of it. Like, I got a lot of mileage out of those two instances, because, like, boys, this is what it means to reject the world and to be courageous, to go to your boss and say, I don't like what you're doing. That's hard. 
It's hard, but it's a good lesson for them. And so that's just one way we can teach them to stand up uh, for godliness in their lives. And I'm sure there are many ways this works out in your, your family. And we need to trust. Finally, so two last things. I realize I'm over on time here. Yikes. Sorry. Um, so do not love the world. Two last things for us. Children of any age. So now any of these three categories, little kids, school age, teenagers, I mentioned this before, we're called as parents to trust and obey. And uh, as, as we, as I'm, even as I'm talking through these things, I'm thinking of things, I wish I had done this better. I mean, that gnaws, even in the midst of a talk like that, for me, that just gnaws on the edge of my conscience. I just think, man, I, uh, I wish I had a do-over on some parts of this. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's not the whole verse. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There are failings and shortcomings in our parenting that we don't even see, that we don't even recognize. And it's a kindness of the Lord that we don't because we would be overwhelmed and in despair, I think, if we recognize how far we fall short of what's required of us as parents. But if we confess the sins we do see, the Lord is faithful. He'll forgive us those sins, and then he does one better and cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Even the sins, the failures, the shortcomings that we don't recognize. And he has called us to work together, husbands and wives. He's given you as gifts each to the other that you might get wisdom from one another, that you might encourage one another. Two are better than one for they have a good return for their work. One falls down, the other can pick them up. Brothers and sisters, we have strength and support, most of you sitting right next to you. It's a gift from God. God has fitted you for this and he has fitted you for this together. One last quotation from J.C. Ryle. We need to pray. So we need to pray without ceasing. Let us pray often for this. Without the blessing of the Lord, your best endeavors will do no good. He has the hearts of all men in his hands, and except he touch the hearts of your children by his spirit, you will weary yourself to no purpose. Water, therefore, the seed you sow on their minds with unceasing prayer. The Lord is far more willing to hear than we to pray. What a promise that is. That is so true. The Lord is far more willing to hear than we to pray, far more ready to give blessing than we to ask them, but he loves to be entreated for them. And I set this matter of prayer before you as the top stone and seal of all you do. I suspect the children of many prayers, the child of many prayers is seldom cast away. Wonderful wisdom from our friend J.C. Ryle. So, Father in heaven, I pray that you would bless and prosper these parents as they try to apply and live out the promises of your word. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to do a briefer Q&A, but that's okay, because I'm sure... Sorry, I talked to you No, 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 you're good. Well that, well, that was super helpful, brother. It really was, walking through each season in turn. So um, what I'm thinking we're going to do is we're going to have you, we're going to give you the most difficult parenting questions yes. and, and give you about 60 seconds on each. Uh, is Speed that, round. Is that great? Whatever you, you like. I'll kidding. work for you. No, no. <laughs> um, uh, by the way, guys, uh, a number of the questions were about books he recommended or things mm. uh, Steve recommended. So uh, I'll go back and forth with Steve, try to capture all the recommendations in a list, and then we'll just email it out. Oh, I should so, do that. Yeah. So if you're like, hey, here's, here's a number of things that he talked about, uh, there you go. Uh, also, by the way, the J.C. Ryle book that he quoted a bunch from, that's free online. Yeah. I mean, you can get it. You Public can domain, download yeah. it on your Kindle. It's, it's easy to grab. Um, so that's another, another book over there. Also, um, 
the book that uh, Steve has been recommending this whole time, A Shepherding a Child's Heart, is not the book over there. Oh. Um, <laughs> I'm it sorry. It is available so sorry. at uh, various booksellers. Uh, what are we giving away? What is it? This one's uh, Paul David Tripp's parenting book. And so it's basically like a collection of principles oh, about parenting. Right. That's good, and, too. And one of, the book, one of the chapters in particular, I know a couple of the questions so were on authority. And so they, mm. he has a good chapter mm-hmm. on authority mm-hmm. in that book. That if you're like, well, I'm struggling a little bit because I don't want to be mean. But what, is that? what does the Bible say about authority? That's, that's a great uh, further deep dive. Okay. So here's, here's – uh, I'm just going to hit a, a handful of questions. And uh, we'll see how many we can get through. Uh, yep. Most important, we had somebody that really honestly just sent in a, like an admission, like, man, I just feel super, super, super like a failure constantly oh, sure. in my parenting. Like I'm trying, and even like these principles are great, and I'm thinking, oh man, I could be doing that. Yep. Oh, I could be doing that. But the kind of li- like, what do you say to a parent that's kind of living mm-hmm. in that day to day just condemnation of? Mm. Yeah. I'm not doing enough. And it can even be immobilizing. It can even feel like I, I don't even want to try because I'm, I'm, I'm aware of right. how I'm failing. What would your thought be? Yeah, well, okay, I think most parents probably have some season like that, some stretch like that, some parents longer than others. And I think that can be the result of a couple factors. And some of that is, first, it's important to know your own disposition in this and to know how are you wired. And so um, husbands and wives, it's good for you to work together and to know one another in this. Um, and I, I think if Nicole were here, she would not mind me saying that in our marriage, I am an incurable optimist in all things. It's going to be all right. We're going to make it. It's going to be fine. We're going to figure it out. And, and she is um, like a pessimist to doomsday, somewhere, somewhere in that. I think she, can, she, I think she would be okay with me saying that. Um, so, it, so we're good for each other. Uh, that causes a little friction sometimes. Um, but I think, so it's good, to, it's good to know one another and to know how do we work together in this and, and where, this is like, so now we're talking marriage, not parenting. Like, talk about a great date night question. How's your level of faith right now with the kids? And um, you could probably fill up an evening pretty easily on that. Um, and so I think, so a, a starting place is just to say, like, um, Talk, I would want to hear more about the nature of that discouragement because it's possible that that discouragement arises out of a sense of godly conviction. That as we go through something like this, you're like, yeah, you know what? Um, I have really preferred my own laziness. It's, this is hard work. Um, and it's just easier to, like, you know, get the kids in bed, get my show on, you know, whatever. Or, or maybe, I've in, yeah, I've indulged my... Um, impatience and my anger towards the children too often. I've spoken to them harshly. They, they hear, they're more aware of my impatience than they are my encouragement. And, and to that I would say, well, then if that's the case, then that sense of discouragement is a gift because it's called conviction. I mean, that's really what that is. It's just you haven't figured out what it's conviction about yet. And so it could be that for you, what's in order is, a, is um, maybe some time with a, with a godly, more mature parent, another friend, to just say, can I just tell you about, here's my experience of parenting right now, and here's what I think, I'm, uh, here's what I think we're doing well. Here's, maybe get together as couples. That would be great um, to get two perspectives because we all shade things a bit or we tend towards our optimistic, pessimistic spectrum. So um, maybe to have that conversation and just say, so on the one hand, start there and just say, well, yeah, is, is that conviction? Is the Lord trying to raise something for you to grow in? And if that's the case, receive that as the Lord's mercy that he loves you enough to reveal that to you. 
to give you that opportunity to grow and change. That's a gift. That's a gift that not many parents get. Many parents just plow ahead, and, and the Holy Spirit never stops them, and they make a train wreck of their relationship with their kids. And so how, how kind of the Lord that the Spirit is at work in you. That's awesome. Um, now, it may also be the case that for you, that sense of, of discouragement is misplaced. It may be that you're doing a fine job as a parent. And are you a perfect parent? Of course not. Of course not. That's why you need Jesus. Jesus came for imperfect, sinful parents like me and like you. And your sins are forgiven and the Spirit is within you. And now you have, through Christ, the, the Father's approval. And so some of you, it's possible, may just need to receive the forgiveness. That it's possible you are more strict on your sin even than the Father is. That what the Father has forgiven, you need to receive that forgiveness, rejoice in it, and to take the next step forward with faith. Um, and I think, you know, for most of us, it's probably the, the two scenarios I just described, it's probably one one thing and one the next day. One, one, one thing one day and one thing the next day. Um, and it, it's some combination. Rare, I think, is the person who it's all or nothing, one or the other. But I, I think to, to sort through that, especially with the help of someone with outside eyes who can see what you're doing, and, and um, it, boy, the, the encouragement that has come from others because Nicole and I, we, we will, there, there, are, there are certainly times where we have, we have just tanked and just said, man, we have, we have blown it, we have failed. Um, when sin is revealed in your kids and you're like, why didn't we find this earlier? Why didn't we see this, the cheating thing? Uh, you know, if your boys find their way to pornography, you're thinking, how did I, how could this have entered my house? How could I have let this happen? How discouraging is that? Um, well, it, it can be really, really helpful to get an outside perspective and say, somebody who, who knows you well enough, and maybe for some of you this might mean bringing people into your parenting even before this, you get to this crisis point. So somebody you're just walking in fellowship with, I just need another set of eyes. You tell me where I need to grow. Um, it, it, can, it can just be a real balm to the soul to hear somebody else tell you, you know what, yeah, you're, you're not perfect. Overall, th this was a lapse here, but you're doing a good job overall. That's a gift. Somebody with an outside perspective who can look at your parenting and say that. So I think there's, there's probably some of both of those things. I hope that's, I hope yeah. that's helpful. No, that's helpful. And, and one, uh, one of the questions are related to, to uh, I think, exactly what you're saying, that at times it could feel like it would be everyone's default not to involve other parents in their parenting, partially because parents end up very siloed into, like, this is my parenting silo. So even on our pastoral team, like, our kids... We have a, like some kids go to public school, some kids are, you know, they homeschooled their kids, some kids went to whatever, private school, whatever. Um, and even within those, there's various tribes, like, well, this is the type of homeschooler I am, and this sure. is the type of homeschooler you are. Sure. And so there could be a hesitancy to almost go like, well, but they're, a, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, we, we are going to decide what to do with our kids, and I don't want other people weighing in because I don't know yeah. if they have our perspective. How would you speak to that? Just that I think that some of those walls that have gone up between silos of parents and, and how, how you can, because mm -hmm. what you're describing I think is excellent, but how do, you, how do you deal with an environment where maybe not everybody parents exactly like you? Sure. Well, that's a great question. And not everybody is disposed this way. And, and there are cultural differences. There's regional differences. Um, and so how, how free and open people are willing to be. Um, I'm, from, I'm from South Carolina. And man, it's offensive if you come to the front door. You know, you just, you, you want to see somebody. You just come to the side door, the screen door. You just come right in. You know, you're, where's the iced tea? Um, my wife's from Maryland. So it's, you're getting, it's not the Northeast, but it's getting there. And so they tend to be a little bit more kind of standoffish. Um, and so... 
or it's just disposition or experience or whatever. Um, so I think, I, I think two things. Um, first, let's just think about the word fellowship. What is fellowship? Um, a really good, simple two-word description, well, three, if I, use, if I count the word and, uh, disclose and discover. Like a basic understanding, what is fellowship? It means as a Christian, to I am coming to a brother in Christ first to disclose. I want to tell you about what God is doing in my life that you would not be able to know if I didn't tell you. That's disclosing. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing you into my world. And I want to discover. I'm going to come with intelligent questions that might initially make us both uncomfortable, awkward. Nobody likes awkward. Let's get over it. Right? It's not that bad. Um, I've been a pretty awkward guy most of my life, and I've survived this far. So um, it's okay. You'll be all right. So, um, you know, I might, I might ask a question like, hey, I, um, I was just passing by, and I, you know, I saw how you were getting the kids in the car after church. And it, look, I'm sure this is not always this way, but it, that moment, it, it seemed like it seemed rough. It seemed harsh. And um, I, I might have misperceived it, but is that, you know, you can begin a conversation. That takes courage. And it takes genuine love, actual love for your brother and sister to step out. It means that you have to love, and it means as brothers and sisters, we need to have the kind of commitment that if somebody comes to you and doesn't do it perfect, because they won't, I'm not going to get offended. Look, they're just trying. You know, we're just, everybody's, we're all learning. We're all growing in maturity here. So we want to have the kind of Christian communities where, where brothers and sisters can come and say, hey, look, you know I love you, right? And uh, that, <laughs> that's always like, oh, no, I'm getting teed up. Um, but where we can say to one another, like, look, I see so much good in your parenting. And I, but I have this question about the way your kids run wild after church. Is that, do you think that's helpful for other people? Or, you know, whatever it is. Not that that would ever happen in this church. I know, but I've heard it can happen. Um, Steve was looking at me. He was, he was I was like, not. I was de- deliberately not making any eye contact. Um, I, I've never even met your kids. But um, the, um, the other thing I would say is that some parents uh, can... I don't want to use the word hide behind because that describes too much motive, but sometimes have a misunderstanding about their child's privacy. And like, well, I don't want to say my kid's name or something like that. And, and I get that, and there's a part of that that's appropriate, I think. I think we want to think carefully there. But there's also, we are in community, and your children are, our children are in the community by virtue of you being in the community. And so... Um, Part of being in community, we, we are volun- not just forfeiting, but voluntarily sacrificing certain aspects of our privacy for fellowship. We want to, I, I, I want to be known. I want people to see who I am. There need to be brothers in my life who know, like, look, man, he, there's ways that I'm, I'm like dropping the ball as a husband, and here's how I'm tempted to lust, or here's how I'm, I'm tempted to cut corners at work, or whatever the thing is. Like, we need to be known like that. And, and this is part of our children just being a part of that community. And so um, I, I want to, if one of my children falls into sin and I need wisdom to know how to get out of it, I'm not, I'm not evolving every parent in the church in that. Um, but I am going to ask questions, and I might have to be specific, or it just might be pretty obvious which kid I'm talking about, if I have, a, a, if I had, a, we, my, before we adopted two kids, I had a son and daughter, and, you know, I said he, not too hard to figure out. Yeah, so that's good. Okay, uh, switching gears, and uh, we'll do maybe another 10 minutes on this. Um, switching gears, uh, a couple questions on either side of one issue. Mm. Um, so mm. uh, we had a question come in about, uh, essentially, 
authority and and misuse of authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I'm yep. not reading too much into it, maybe, maybe even in the in their experience as a child, their sure. parents, oh sure, uh, yep, uh, inappropriate uses of authority, um, harshness, mm-hmm. and and being very careful. To not yep. do anything like that, to you know, to, to yeah. never, never even approach the line right. on one side, um, and then another on the other side, somebody who's asking a question about um, kind of the the parenting movement that that is basically a little bit more. Uh, well, you need you need to kind of, uh, and I hope I don't. I'm going to misstate this. So I'm sorry, but the the ballpark is um, rather like never using negative kind of confrontation, all, only using positive reinforcement, being very gentle in, in anything you do. Of mm-hmm. course, we, you just talked about gentleness is important, et cetera. Mm. But um, it seems like there, there's a difficulty if, if somebody has seen, perhaps mm. either culturally or personally, harshness in parenting, right. they're gonna be much more skittish oh, sure. toward any display of authority. So how do you, how do you make sure that you're, what you're doing is, you're following the model of the Bible, um, and not reacting uh, to, to one side or the yep. other? Yeah, okay. That's a great question. And that's a, this is a common question, I think, among parents to think through. And it's important, I think, in, in answering this question, first, we acknowledge that many people had, um, just to say this as broadly as possible, experiences with their own parents that were less than ideal. That covers a lot of ground, right? Um, and that... It, it, we just can't deny the fact that that colors the way that we come to parenting. Um, even, even if you grew up with Christian parents and they were committed to parenting you in godly principles, there were ways that were less than ideal. But there are no doubt some of you in this room, and I don't know who you are, but who abuse or neglect or parents who are harsh or overly critical or any number, like we could just multiply examples, any number of ways. Um, and, and I would say on the, on the flip side, like, um, some people have had, some people did have a really good experience, and, and their parents parented them really well, and weren't perfect, but did it well. Um, and to that, I would say, the, the answer in both cases, actually, is to parents, who, to parents whose parents sinned against them, um, your guide for parenting is not the inverse, not the photo negative of what your parents did to you, but this book, what the scriptures say. And if your parents just did amazing, well, you, there's a lot you can learn, and, and surely a lot you will imitate. But again, the guide for your parenting is not the skill of your parents, but this book. In both cases, I want to start with what does scripture say? And... Um, God uses the analogy of fatherhood. Uh, he describes himself as a father. Um, and that's, that can be problematic. I've certainly, and I'm sure you've known people who, whose experience with their own earthly father has made it difficult for them to think of, of God as a father. And it can help us to remember that the Lord uses that because we, we have some standard in mind. Right? It actually, it'll help us to sort of flip that on its head. No, no, I know my dad didn't do a good job as a dad because I have some standard out there. Well, that, that standard is what God is as a father. All that a father, all that an earthly father should be is what God the Father is and does. And so um, 
we want to keep that category in mind. So partly there's just a, I want to begin with a, I, I think that if that has been your experience, I would want to, if I, if I could sit down with you uh, over coffee, over tacos, then I would, I would want to just, like, tell me about, as you think about this first, let's just, let's just make sure you've got sorted your relationship with your heavenly father. I would just want to ask about that, just to see, like, are you confident in your heavenly father's love for you? Are you confident in his wisdom in how he parents you as his child? Are you confident in your security, in your adoption into his family? I would want to just probe that a little bit. It might be you're good to go and all that, great. And if that's the case, great. If not, well, the Lord, how kind of the Lord that he wants to help you to get a clearer picture of what his heavenly fatherhood really means. Because that is the standard and the basis of everything we want to say about earthly parenting. Um, we build from there. And that's exactly the point that the author to the letter to the Hebrews, the author of the letter to the Hebrews makes in Hebrews chapter 12. Um, so to, to kind of then move from our Heavenly Father to what is it exactly that we're called to do um, in that, that is, we are called to kind of thread that needle, right? Between we, We've seen examples of overly harsh parents, of abusive or neglectful parents. We've seen examples of incredibly indulgent parents who, um, I, I had friends growing up who, man, they set their own bedtimes, they ate whatever they want, they obviously dressed however they want. They, um, you know, they're, so there are extremes here. And so we want to say, again, what does Scripture say? And what Scripture says, I think if we were to distill it down into a phrase, it calls for loving discipline. There is both love and discipline involved. And what discipline means, though, that needs to be clear, and we need to clarify. What love means, that needs to be clear. Love is not just indulgence, and discipline is not just harshness, right? There's overlap. These two things go together. They are, they're two sides of the same coin. And so um, I think it can be helpful to think about the, um, the ways that uh, we, need to do, we need to do both of those things. Um, Hebrews chapter 12 um, talks about the Lord disciplines the one he loves. So this is 12.6. Really, this starts in 12.3, 12.5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father did not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Um, and so it goes on, and it'd be good to keep reading, but um, the point of that is that, that to love is to discipline. That if, if a parent did not love his or her child, did not discipline his or her child, he would not be loving that child. Um, and in fact, God says, when there's a contrast here to Hebrews 12, the flip side is in Romans 1. When God's love is not on people, what does he do when they sin? It says, and he gave them over to their sin. And he gave them over to their sin. He gave, this says three times. So when God's love is not there on a people, sure, have at it. Sin all you want. Sin becomes its own punishment. What would you rather have? The discipline of the Lord or the discipline that comes from the consequences of sin? 
And so um, now that word discipline in the New Testament, um, if you hear that word and you think, oh, that means spanking. Um, no, it doesn't. Actually, the word is, um, it, it's, it's the Greek word that we get the, we get the word for, for gymnasium from. And it is, uh, there, there's two sides to this, and they're asymmetrical. So the two sides are formative and corrective discipline. And so formative discipline, you think, if you think of gymnasium, you go to a gymnasium, whether this is for um, gymnastics or weight training or I ran indoor track when I was in, in high school, you went to, to, for, to get better at something, right? So, so our discipline of our children starts with our instruction. We begin by training them up in the way that they should go. And so that forms the bulk of our time. And then the corrective discipline is responsive. It's reactive. It's, it's in light of all of this body of formative training. We have trained our children up, and then any corrective discipline that's needed is flowing out of that instruction that's already provided. And then the love, so love is the reason we do it in the first place. And again, that Romans 1 and Hebrews 12 contrast helps us. But then the love conditions how we go about it. We do this because we love. The description in Hebrews 12 is God loves us enough to interrupt our sin, to stop us in our sprint over the cliff. And our discipline of our children, if we can think of it in those terms, that will go a long way towards helping us um, undertake modes and methods of discipline and proportions of discipline that are appropriate because we'll be thinking, I'm doing this because I love you enough to help you stop sinning. And that's, that's true love. That's what I want as a Christian. I want the Lord to do that. I want my brothers around me to do that. I have signed a church covenant saying to the covenant community, if, if I sin badly enough that I need it, I want you. I'm asking you to come after me, with, to come to church discipline. Matthew 18, I need that because I love Jesus enough right now in my right mind that I don't want to wander from him, so please do. So, um, so love is, I think, central to all of that. That's kind of a meandering answer to that question, but I hope that... No, it's helpful. It. Yeah, very helpful to go, okay, your baseline is the father. If you had a terrible parent, the contrast is the father. If you had a really good parent, it's not a substitute for the father. Either way, the father is, is kind of your model. That's excellent. Uh, let me end with this, uh, Steve. We had a great bundle, a few questions about uh, LGBTQ issues. If you have those questions, we're not going to, we can't answer them in two minutes. So uh, they deserve uh, thoughtful answers. So if you want to come talk to Steve afterwards, uh, we had another question about college uh, prep. You can come talk to Steve afterwards about that. I'd love to do that. He's going to yeah. share a little bit about um, some college stuff tomorrow. But I want to end with this. Uh, last minute, we just got somebody to submit a question that basically said, okay, love this. This is great. Um, uh, but, here's, but here's what they're wondering. We talk about the circle of blessing, mm -hmm. you know, being under your parents' authority. That's great. Uh, does, does that lead our kids to be uh, – does that lead us to lack grace in our parenting to where it feels like, okay – because you've got to stand under this circle of authority, because you've got to stay, you know, uh, you, you have to obey. Sure, sure. Yeah. Does that work against us uh, preaching grace to our kids? And partially, I bet the question is coming from, because we're in Ephesians right now. Yeah. So we're just in this massive Ephesians 2 section yeah. on grace. Yeah, yeah. So it could feel like, man, God's grace, he did this, and he's God's grace. And then we're like, now stay in the circle of blessing. But And, and so how do you reconcile right. those? Yeah. Right? Oh, great. I'm so glad you asked this. Um, yeah. And uh, two things I want to say about this. So I'm going to say something about... Um, I want to say something about grace and then something about age. So if I forget the second thing, just say to me about age. Um, so on the first thing, um, I have noticed a trend 
in the last, so I'm, I've been a parent 19 years, I've been thinking about this even before Jack was born because I was getting involved in youth and children's ministries before that. Um, there has been a trend over the last couple decades in writing on parenting to drive this wedge, to create a dichotomy between grace and obedience. That, to, that, that somehow requiring obedience from your children is not gracious. Or, to put it conversely, to, to be gracious to your children means not to require obedience. We just read Hebrews 12. That's obviously not how God relates to us. Um, so I think one of, the, one of the most important things that I, I keep finding myself wanting to say that the next generation of parents in my church is um, the... One of, the mo- one of the ways you can show your kids grace is by requiring them, requiring obedience of them. God requires us to obey. God is, he is gracious when we disobey, and so that should condition the way that we talk to our children when they disobey. My, my, my kids sin, and I tell them, look, th- wh- what does the Bible call what you just, you just lied to your mother. What does the Bible call that? The Bible calls it lying. What is lying? It, lying is sin. Uh, who does sin? Sinners do sin. What do sinners need? Sinners need a Savior. Who's the Savior? Jesus. We walk through this so many times. That, that obedience is, it is gracious from God. Um, we are now, it says we have been set free. One of the great paradoxes of the New Testament. We have been set free and become slaves of Christ. So which is it? Been set free from sin to become slaves of Christ. Are you free or are you a slave? Yes. Yes, you are. You have been set free from sin so that you might become a slave to righteousness, a slave of Christ, Paul says. And so we, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Um, there's this really tight connection throughout the New Testament between obedience and grace. God's grace gives us, helps us to obey. Work out your own, okay, Philippians uh, 2, 12, uh, 11 and 12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I quoted that verse by itself so many times. It's only half the sentence. For it is God who is at work within you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Pleasure, that sounds a lot like grace. God is pleased in you. He is pleased to work in you. And what he is working in you is work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's obedience. It's code for obedience. And so... um, don't buy into the cultural lie. This is, I think, one of the ways the devil gets his hands into like, sort of Christian parenting and think, like, yeah, just we're going to tear this thing apart by, by redefining terms. Now, if, if grace means indulgence, it's not grace. That's not what grace is. Grace calls us to, it calls us as Christians, as mature adult believers, to obedience in Christ. Well, same thing. If we're going to be gracious to to our children. Now, the way we go about doing that, I mean, we, we read these quotes from Ryle. Uh, th- that should condition, the way we go about doing that should be gracious, right? Um, I don't want a pastor who is all red-faced, veins bulging out, like, you know, you got to admit, you know, that, that's, nobody wants that. And parents ought not be like that either. Um, so we have to, our sanctification gets involved. So then I would also say, what was the other thing? Age. Um, um, yeah. I was going to say some of that. So I think this also, this does look different at different ages. And so requiring obedience in, in little kids is just like, they have to be trained to just, to, they have to learn to obey. I mean, it's, if you love them, you will train them to do this. That, that description I gave you of Jack, I mean, I, I, there were moments where had I not called Jack to come and had he not turned, he would have just wandered into a street and gotten plastered by a truck. So like it, like that obedience saved his life. And I'm sure that's happened. You, you know, kids, 
But if that's true in a physical sense with a four-year-old, how much more in a spiritual sense with a 14-year-old or a 24-year-old? And so, um, but with that age, the, the graciousness that we call our, um, with my teenagers, I am, I am beginning to put in front of them, do you see, like, let me describe for you the circle of blessing. If kids are like, man, I just get, I just get hammered with the circle of blessing, well, then I'm not doing a good job explaining the circle of blessing. Let me tell you about how, what is blessing? Like, let's talk about that. Let's talk about, let's talk about the, the, the peace and the joy that comes from being right before God, from knowing that we have obeyed him and we have his pleasure through Christ in our obedience, that as we strive, we feel the, the Holy Spirit working within us um, and helping us. Like, so if you're describing, I, w- I want to show my kids, this is attractive, and I point out to people in the, the, the I point out people in the church to them and see, um, you know, my mom is uh, my mom is seventy and she's um, she's been in the hospital for about a month and a half and it's been kind of touch and go. She had a pulmonary embolism. Uh, she's got a lot of complications. This is all following a gallbladder surgery and uh, it should have just been really routine. But she had other pre-existing challenges and so there was a there were a day or two where it looked really dire. And we were starting to like, okay, do we need to go say goodbye? Like we we're planning a trip. But we talked our kids through. We, we said, guys, look, if Mimi goes, if the Lord calls Mimi home, we will grieve her. <laughs> but it'll be the right kind of grief because it's the grief of a life lived for Christ. This is not the grief of now hoping somebody would repent and that window closed through death. This is the grief of We've seen it. Do you see how, can you see the joy, the happiness that's in Mimi's life, how much she loves other people, gives of herself to other people? So I think making that attractive, as as kids move up into the teenage years, we're trying to show them, like, the circle of blessing. It's not just like, hey, honor, you know, obey mom and dad, you'll have a good life. It's like, let's show them. Like, they see it in our marriage. They see it in our relationships in the church. But let's make sure they understand the connection. Excellent. All right, guys. Well, thank you. Thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for investing your time. Um, just want to pray for us as we go. Yeah, Lord, I pray that the time you've invested uh, in front of your word, Lord, would, would bear fruit in our lives and with the people around us, Lord, especially for those of us, for, for us as parents, Lord, give us, give us help. We pray for both of those mm. things, that we would work hard, work out uh, the task of parenting with fear and trembling, doing our best, but also knowing that, that the Lord works in us that you are at work in us, that your grace is at work in us, and that we might um, take up the task with confidence knowing that you're with us. Uh, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you have other questions, Steve will stick around for a bit. Um, Otherwise, we'll see you guys back tomorrow morning.